Um, my name is John. Um, I'm full-time on staff at Oceans in Albany, so a big shout-out if anyone's watching online. And uh, we've, Bev and I have been there for 23 years now, so we're part of the furniture, and um, I've been on staff for I don't know how long, a long time. And, uh, you know, one of my absolute passions, absolute passion is teaching and preaching God's Word. So I love it when I can get to open God's Word with you uh, this evening. So today is our final week of our preaching series, as we've already said, Build Your Life. Who's enjoyed it? I really hope as we've, you've been going through this series that you have been hitting the wisdom literature. And, um, you know, I think it's a great idea to read the book of Proverbs through at the beginning of each year um, as, as a habitual thing, uh, because there's just so much wisdom for life in it. And, you know, the whole idea behind this series is the truth that God created you and I. Okay, we're created by God. And because he created us, he knows how life works, okay? He gets it. So, you know, we need to go to him. We need to go to his word, uh, go to him in prayer, go to him in his word to glean all the wisdom that we need for life. And can I state very clearly that a life that works is a life that's built upon godly wisdom. In fact, it's foundational to build our life on the wisdom that comes from God. You know, this with this subject of building our life with godly wisdom in mind, this evening, my brief, um, my brief was basically around to examine wisdom around finances, okay? And I know we've just done the Heart for the House series and I kind of wrestle with this a little bit. Because, but you know what? It's really important that we have wisdom around wealth, okay? Wisdom around our finances. And also how decisions we make around our finances today will impact our future, okay? So the decisions we make with money is just so, so crucial. So, you know, I've really called this um, my message, Wealth using our wealth with wisdom. You know, originally we were going to call this series, can anybody remember what we are going to call this series? We are going to call this series, Don't Be Stupid. Don't Be Stupid. And it's a bit of a harsh sort of a title, really. But when it comes to money, it is so incredibly relevant. Because if you are not careful, you can be really, look, let's face it, we can be really stupid, really foolish. Um, the, the book of Proverbs used the word foolish. But we can be really stupid, we can be really foolish with our money. And it's so important that we get wisdom in this area. Look, what I'm going to be sharing with you tonight, I'm so excited because it's such a young church, okay? And you guys are in your kind of, um, your formative years, you know, you're kind of still, you know, launching into everything that God's going to do in your life. And I wish I had heard what I'm going to share with you tonight when I was your age, okay? So I hope you lean in. I hope you have ears to hear what God's going to share um, you know, it's God's word. It's not my word. God's going to, you know, impart wisdom to you tonight. You know, from the beginning, though, can I establish a few facts? Firstly, I'd say to you this subject of using, using our wealth with wisdom is relevant to every one of us, okay? I know there's some uni students here. Who's a uni student here? Who's still studying, okay? And you're going, I'm not wealthy. This is not relevant to me. But you know what? Compared to the billions of people on planet Earth, even if you are on unemployment benefits in Australia, you are amongst the top 10% of money earners in this world, okay? So what I'm saying to you is don't switch off in the wrong belief that you're not wealthy because in Australia, we are wealthy, okay? Even if, like I said, if you're on unemployment benefits or you're a student, you know, I can remember going back and studying at Bible College and uh, I think between Bev and I, we we were earning $25 a week, and uh, that was an interesting time. Okay? I know what it's like to be a student. Secondly, I'm aware that when preachers talk about money, it can really grate on us, can't it? It can really grate on us. seems to be a don't-go zone. Don't talk to me about money. But you know what? The New Testament has an enormous, uh, enormous amount to say about this subject. 
of wealth and possessions. And we must get a proper biblical perspective on using our wealth with wisdom. It's, it's so important. You know what? I love this saying, Jesus Christ is perfect theology. Think about that. If you see Jesus doing something, that is perfect theology, okay? And Jesus had a lot to say about money, wealth, and possessions. You wouldn't believe how much he had to say about it. I'll, I'll read this to you. Pastor Greg Laurie said this, it's worth noting that money is such an important topic in the Bible that it's the main subject of nearly half of the parables Jesus told. In addition, one in every seven verses in the New Testament, one in seven verses, and seven's a really important number biblically, it's a perfect number, one in every seven verses in the New Testament deals with this topic. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, pretty good, fewer than 500 verses on faith, and more than 2,000 verses on money. 15%, 15% of everything Jesus ever taught was on the topic of money and possessions, more than his teachings on heaven and hell combined. And as I'm going to show you a bit later, how we respond to money and what we do with money and the way we think about money and the way we handle money can actually determine whether you go to heaven and hell as well. Okay? I'll, I'll read some scriptures later. You know, the decisions you make about around finances today can actually actually launch your faith or you can actually get yourself in a terrible place, shipwrecking your faith. So, you know, it's amazing when you think about it how much, how important this subject is. I guess the question is, why is there such an emphasis on money and possessions in the New Testament? And the reason is very simple. There is such a great emphasis because there's a fundamental connection between the health of our spiritual lives and how we think and ha- about and handle money. I'm going to say that again. There's a fundamental connection between how we think about money, how we handle money, and our spiritual lives. So with this in mind, I want to spend some time unpacking a great passage of Scripture. It's written by the Apostle Paul. I can't wait to get to heaven. Uh, just to be able to meet Paul, I reckon he's, he's such a legend. I love the Pauline letters. And in this passage, be- it beautifully tackles how we should think about and how we should handle money. There's a lot of wisdom in there. So just um, before we get into the, the letter, this uh, passage, I'd just like to think about the historical context, because historical context is really, really important when you start to study Scripture. You know, First Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it. It's a personal letter that he wrote to a young guy called Timothy. He was a pastor. And Paul had left him in charge of a very difficult church in Ephesus. And one of the difficulties that Timothy faced was that it was false teachers had come into the church and they were teaching false doctrines that did not line up with the teaching of Jesus. Now, Ephesus was also a very wealthy city in ancient times and as a result, it's likely that the Ephesian church was actually made up of many wealthy members. And these false teachers appear to have been trying to gain financially from this wealthy church community. In fact, in 1 Timothy 6.5, it mentions that these false teachers thought that godliness was a means to financial gain. So they were trying to um, uh, get wealth off these people. Now, because wealth was a major concern of these false teachers, Paul actually deals with some of the dangers of wealth. And in the process, he laid down some wonderful wisdom for you and I today. So let's read the passage. We've just got it up here. Uh, should come up. So 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10 to begin with. Paul says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. And he says, For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I think we're going to jump down to verse 17 now. So Paul continues his instruction to Timothy. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Don't you love that? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay out treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You know, Paul gives us some wonderful pearls of wisdom in this passage, and I want to look at four of them tonight. As so I'm going to unpack Paul's teaching on using our wealth with wisdom, but let's just pray. So, Father God, we just thank you. I just thank you for your word, Father. And Father God, I just thank you that your word is living and active. I thank you that the same Holy Spirit that inspired uh, Paul to write this letter so many years ago is still working in and through it today, illuminating uh, the truth of your word to our heart and mind. So Father, I just pray that you'll do your work in us tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that your uh, word never, ever returns to your void. It's going to achieve everything you want of it tonight, Lord. And all of God's people said... Amen. Okay, you with me? All right, pearl number one. Wealth is temporary. Should have the scripture up again. 1 Timothy 6, 7, Paul says this, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Wealth is temporary. You know, 1 Timothy 6, 7 has other parallels in the Bible. In Job one twenty one, Job said this. This is even more scary. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. Solomon said the same thing in Ecclesiastes 5.15. He says, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. This is one of those scriptures that I hope is not literal, okay? I'm hoping it's not literal, because I kind of go, wow, am I going to kind of appear in heaven in my birthday suit? I hope not, okay. What Paul, Job, and Solomon, though, are emphasising is that material possessions are equally irrelevant at our entrance into the world, and they are equally irrelevant in our exit from this world. So, you know, if that's the case, there's a degree of foolishness. If we are constantly accumulating possessions, riches and wealth, that must be left behind at death. It's foolish. It's foolish. You know, it's often said that the person who accumulates the most toys in life wins. Us boys like to say that. I've got the biggest car. I've got the biggest boat. I win because I've got the most toys. You know, the toys, when you get older, they... You just still collect them. They just get more expensive. Now, if you've ever visited someone, though, in a nursing home towards the end of their life and seen what's left of all they accumulated, we accumulate all this stuff and then we start to downsize and you see them in their little single room, their possessions are virtually all gone, you know that it's a monumental lie that the person who accumulates the most toys win, wins. Here's the person who wins in this Christian life and I really thank Jake for saying this before. The person who wins in the Christian life, Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 7 said this, it's the person who at the end of their life can declare, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. That's the person who wins. They're the one who's going to receive the crown of life that will last forever. As a result, real living in the short time we have in this world is infinitely more than gaining wealth and possessions that are only temporary. This point is brought home further in 1 Timothy 6.17. I've got it up here. Let's have a read of it again. Command those who are rich in this present age, uh, sorry, in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. 
okay? Wealth is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You know, Paul's already said we brought nothing into the world and we're going to take nothing out of it. But now he is pushing this even further and he's telling us that even, you know, what he's saying is that the wealth and possessions are even more temporary than the beginning of our life and the end of our life. What he's saying is they are completely uncertain. Who can remember the 2008 global financial crisis? Yep. Does anyone remember it? You know, that brought home the truth that wealth is incredibly uncertain. It can disappear in a moment well before we exit this world. We can't bring anything in, we can't take anything out and we can lose it in between, okay? Our wealth is so uncertain. And this reminder of the uncertainty of riches is so relevant given that we live in an age that is driven by consumerism and materialism. It's absolutely driven by it. The real danger, and this is the danger, is we can see money as our resource, okay? We can see our money as a resource in life rather than seeing God as our resource. And that's the danger. Paul's solution is this. Not to put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but rather put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Doesn't Jesus say in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and everything and his righteousness, and he says everything will be added to you. I once had that described to me as, you know, as we go after God's kingdom and his righteousness first, God will literally place everything that you need into your lap. He's so good. So good. I'll say it again. We're going to bring nothing into the world. If we didn't bring anything into the world, we'll take nothing out of it. And even between our entrance and our exit, wealth is uncertain. As a result, true wisdom is to ensure, come on, let's make sure that God and not wealth is our source, that we place our hope and trust Firmly in him. Okay, you with me? All right, so pearl number one, wealth is temporary. Pearl number two, let's put it up. Learn to be content. This is so important. But if we have, Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6, 8, we've probably got it up there. He says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Wow, think about that. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Paul actually gives us a great definition here of what Christian contentment should look like. I've got it up on the, uh, on the PowerPoint. So, uh, no, if we got one back, have we got it? Maybe not. I'll read it out anyway. Christian contentment. It's there. Beautiful. Okay, Christian contentment. This is a definition from, that, uh, from 1 Timothy 6.8. If we have no more than the bare necessities, such as food and clothing, which in the original Greek actually means covering material. In other words, if we've got food, clothes on our back and somewhere to live, then contentment should result. It's that simple, okay? Think about what we've got in Australia, okay? From this definition, anything you and I have over and above our food, clothes on my back and somewhere to live is not our needs, but it's actually our wants. It's not our needs, how blessed are we that we even put material on our floors to walk on? Come on, we've got carpet on this floor. We walk on material every day in Australia. We are so blessed. We're so wealthy. We're so prosperous. In other words, everything God gives you and I above food and covering clothes and somewhere to live is really prosperity. Come on, how prosperous are we? It's really helpful sometimes to take stock and to stand back and distinguish between our needs and our wants. It's a really good thing to do. You know, because in our wealthiest society, we already have all that we need, okay? I have all that I need. Yet we let ourselves become anxious and so discontented over what we merely want, okay? 
and it will eat us away. You know, like Paul, it is possible to be content without having everything that we want. The only alternative if we don't do this, if we don't learn contentment, is we'll actually become a slave to our wants and desires. And can I tell you, your flesh, your flesh will always want more, okay? If we don't learn this contentment, it leads to all sorts of dangers and traps. You know, especially one of the things I've seen that I, I hate to see in the church is young people who max out their credit cards because I just need that. I need it. No, no, you want it. You don't need it. And, you know, we've, we've got these things called credit cards and we can max them out to get all the things that we think we need that we really just want and we can get ourselves in deep financial difficulty. It's the whole base of advertising. Has anyone ever studied advertising? It's the whole base of advertising is to create this desire, this want, you know, trying to make us discontent so that we can buy more and more, even when we can't afford it. You know, this has happened to me again just recently. <laughs> I, can, I can be watching my perfectly fine TV. It's a bit of an older one. It's not a smart TV. Um, and suddenly I have the desire for the newest 4K Ultra HD smart LED TV. I have no idea what that even means. But suddenly I'm watching my perfectly good telly, 50-inch telly, the Eagles are winning on it, and suddenly I want this new TV. And Bev and I have actually had this conversation just re recently. I've seen a 4K Ultra HD whatever LED TV, and it's better than mine, and I want one now. So we've been having the conversation. I'm getting myself in trouble. Okay, prior to seeing that ad, I had no idea that I needed that TV. I had no idea. I, I didn't need it. But suddenly... You know, I've got this desire welling up within me. And the truth is I don't need that TV to be content. I might want it, but I don't need it. Now, if I do buy the TV, guess what? Six months later, it's going to be superseded by a better model because that's what they do. So that you're discontent again and yours isn't good enough. And you'll soon discover that you buy another new TV and it won't satisfy the deepest cravings of your soul. It just won't. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And that's where true contentment is found. It is found in him. Paul speaks about this contentment in his letter to the Philippians. It's one of the great themes that comes through in Philippians. Let's just pop it up. Paul says this, and if you know Paul's story, oh man, did he go through some suffering. And he says this, for I have learned to be content. Come on, you have to learn to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. Come on, there's a secret that you and I need to learn. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Come on, it's found in the strength that comes from our relationship with God. Whether we admit it or not, the desire for more wealth and possessions is often about filling an empty space in our lives. Can I just say to you that no wealth on this earth will fill this space. People have tried it. They've accumulated all the wealth of the world. We've got billionaires on this planet. They're so miserable because they haven't been able to fill the hole that only God can fill. That's why the Christian approach to life can't be all about accumulating material things. Rather, even when life is tough, just as Paul emphasises here in Philippians 4, 11 to 13, we must learn to be content and it looks like trusting on in jesus it looks like relying on jesus as our resource come on he's our resource drawing on his strength in the knowledge that he will supply all of our needs we've already heard it he's jehovah jireh he's our provider the truth is that paul had learned to be content because this is what he'd done he detached himself from the non-essential things in life 
And what he'd done is he'd actually, detaching himself from his wants, and he'd attached himself instead to God, okay? He detached himself from his wants, attached himself to God, and he found contentment. 1 Timothy 6, 6, 6, as a result, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. All right, so you're still with me? All right, brings me to my third pearl of wisdom. Pearl number one, wealth is temporary. Pearl number two, learn to be content. Pearl, pearl number three, this is so important, monitor your motives. You know, it's so important that we constantly monitor our motives because the desire to get rich holds some very serious dangers. Serious dangers. And this is where this connection is between our spiritual life and the way we think about money, okay? We can land ourselves in so much trouble if we have this desire to get, get rich. In fact, Paul actually uses some seriously strong language to describe people who desire riches. Let's read First Timothy 6, 9 and 10 again. And let's not hurry and let's just see, it should come up. Let's just see some of the language that Paul uses. He says, those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish, come on, foolish, stupid, foolish, stupid and harmful desires that plunge, come on, literally plunge. Have you ever plunged something? Plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, come on, this is serious stuff, have wandered from their faith. So don't think that your love of money can't shipwreck your faith because it can. And this is where our eternal future comes into light. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, this passage too is often misquoted. So before we go any further and I unpack this a little bit further, let's take a few moments to consider what's not being said here and what is being said. Firstly, when Paul says what he says here, Paul's not teaching against being blessed by material possessions. He's not. In fact, there's no condemnation of material possessions here at all. Secondly, Paul's not saying that money and wealth are evil because they're not. In fact, God's kingdom needs wealthy people. Can I say that? God's kingdom needs wealthy people. God can use wealthy, wealthy people mightily if they're willing to use their wealth for God's glory. The kingdom needs wealthy people. In other words, wealth in God's kingdom is a great blessing and a great resource if it's in generous hands. Come on, they'll release it. They'll sow it. Okay? We need people like that in God's kingdom. So what is Paul teaching here? And the answer is found in 1 Timothy 6, verse 9 and 10. We'll just pop it up. Have a listen to the motives, okay? Well, I'm talking about motives here, monitoring our motives. 1 Timothy 6, 9 says, those who want to get rich, okay? Wanting to get rich is a motive. 1 Timothy 6, 10 says, for the love of money. It's about our motives again. And some people eager for money. In other words, Paul's not condemning money per se, he is condemning the love of money, a motive. The constant grasping after and desiring and, uh, and the desire and the passion to become rich. In other words, these strong words of Paul are actually directed at those who are obsessed and controlled by the passion to increase their wealth and material possessions. I'll say it again. There's nothing wrong with wealth or saving or investing or being blessed with material possessions. In fact, in all of Jesus' instruction on money, only once did he tell an individual to sell his possessions and give them to the poor. Only once. On that occasion, Jesus saw this individual's heart motives. He saw straight to the heart of the matter. It was of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, 21, came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Now, on this occasion, Jesus did this because he recognised this young man was possessed with possessions. He was possessed with possessions. 
Here's a great saying. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Okay, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. In other words, it all comes down to our heart motives. If our motive is a desire to get rich, then Paul warns us that we will fall into temptation and a trap. In other words, the desire to get rich is actually a snare of the devil. We must hear and understand this truth. You know, first comes the law to be rich, then the lust to be rich, and finally, Paul says, total moral ruin. You know, Paul doesn't mince words here in stating that if we're controlled by the desire to get rich, it's actually going to lead into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You know, the strength of Paul's words here are driven home by his use of the word plunge. That word actually means, what it's picturing is it's vividly picturing the desire for wealth as like a personal monster that will get hold of you and plunges its victim into an ocean of ruin and destruction where there's irretrievable loss. That's what Paul's describing here. The warnings continue. As Paul says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In other words, this all-consuming desire to get rich can literally cause a wrong turn in our Christian faith where we wander off course and shipwreck our faith. And this is the fundamental connection between how we handle and think about money and the spiritual health of our lives. Jesus said this in the parable of the sower. He said this. He talked about seed that fell among thorns. And when his disciples came to him, he said, can you actually explain this parable to us? He said this. The seed falling among thorns refers to someone who hears the word, so they hear the gospel, they get hold of it. And I've seen people do this. I've seen them come in the church and run well for a while. But Jesus continues, he says, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. In other words, the decisions we make around money today can impact our future. It can impact our eternal destiny. I've seen people get taken right out of the Christian faith because they've been so concerned about money and they've just jettisoned their faith. You know, what's more, all of this is self-inflicted pain and grief, Paul says. Before moving on, 1 Timothy 6.10 says this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So it's worth just stopping for a moment and considering for a few moments what these kinds of evil look like. Is that okay? Throughout history, the love of money has caused, been the cause of fraud, dollar sign marriages and their messy divorces. Anyone follow what's going on in Hollywood? Perjuries, robberies, murders, wars. Um, it's just been the cause, this love of money has caused all sorts of evil. If you want to consider some biblical examples of the kinds of evil that result from the love of money, it looks like King David, the man with many flocks, he's king, he's got everything he wants, and he steals Bathsheba, Uriah the Hittites, one little ewe lamb. It looks like a rich young ruler, we've already talked about him, turning away from Christ. It looks like the rich man neglecting poor Lazarus. It looks like Judas betraying Jesus for some coin. And it looks like Ananias and Sapphira actually telling lies to the Holy Spirit in Acts 5. And if you know the story, that did not go well for them. Can I state that most people too still believe that money is going to bring happiness? Paul says, nah, wealth's going to bring many griefs, okay? Deal Moody, the famous preacher, said this. He said, getting riches brings care, keeping them brings trouble, abusing them brings guilt, and losing them brings sorrow. It's a great mistake to make so much of riches as we do. All right, number four. Okay, so we've covered pearl number one, wealth is temporary. Pearl number two, learn to be content. Pearl number three, monitor your motives. 
And pearl number four is, come on, be generous. There's no other way to land this message than this point. You know, in 1 Timothy 6-7, Paul is talking to everyone who's rich in this present world, which is all of us. Come on, we've already established that. And he says this, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. You know, if you come back to the historical context of this letter, Ephesus was a wealthy city, and the Ephesian church would have been full of wealthy people. And Paul advised Timothy to deal with any potential problems with regards to wealth by teaching, really, the great wealth carries great responsibility. Okay, I'll say that again. When we have great wealth, it carries great responsibility as to what we are going to do with it. Jesus, Jesus highlighted this truth in Luke 12, 48. He says this, from everyone who's been given much, we've already established that we've been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been trusted with much, more will be asked. Wealth carries responsibility as to what you are going to do with it. Ultimately, the responsibility that wealth carries is to be generous with it, Share it. Come on, give it away. Give it away. 1 Timothy 6.18, Paul commands Christians to be generous. The truth is, I love this quote, we make a living by what we earn, by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. I'll say that again. You make a, a living by what you earn when you go to work every day, but you make a life by what you give. It's also said that giving is the loftiest, highest way of living. It is such wisdom. John Wesley said this, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Pastor John Piper says this, giving in a regular, disciplined, generous way, up to and beyond the tithe, is simply good sense in view of the promises of God. It is so good. Here's God's promise. As we give stuff away, as we're generous and we give money away, 2 Corinthians 9.11 says this, that God will make you rich on every, in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. You cannot out give God. Bev and I have experienced this time and time again in our lives. My wife has taught me to be uh, a lot more generous than I used to be. I can, I can tell you, Bev loves giving money away. She likes spending it, giving it away. I tend to hoard it and worry about it. And she's taught me to be more generous. And as we've given money away, God gives you more to be able to sow more, to give more, to, sow, to get more, to give more, to get more, to give more, to get more. The, the, the trick is you don't get to give to keep. You get to give to keep, you, you cut off the supply, okay? So as we continue to sow, God gives us more so we can sow even more. Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. You know, tithing and generous gift giving is great wisdom with wealth. It is wisdom with wealth. It is the best way to steward your money especially in the light of all of God's promises. Finally, it's worth noting that the results of generosity are eternal. Let's have a look at 1 Timothy 6.19 again. Paul says, in this way, as you sow into God's kingdom, in this way you're going to lay up treasure for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Do you know there's going to be degrees of reward in heaven? Okay. And, you know, as we sow into God's kingdom, we are storing up for ourselves treasures in the absolute best bank in the world. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 19 to 21. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy or the global financial crisis and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, 
this is a great reminder that when we exercise generosity towards God and his kingdom, we're making spiritual investments, come on, as a firm foundation for the age to come. And it really shows where our heart is. If we can have the worship team back, I think they're waiting in the wings. All right. Last thing I want to talk about. In finishing in 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12, right in the middle of addressing this issue of wisdom with wealth, Paul makes a final charge to Timothy. He says this. Paul says, but you man of God, you woman of God, flee from all of this, okay? So flee from all of these dangers we've been talking about. And he says, and pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith. That seems to be a bit of a theme tonight. In a nutshell, what Paul's highlighting is that there are far more important matters for you and I to passionately pursue other than money, far more important things. You know, Paul's urgently telling us to flee from desiring riches and to actively pursue eternal things. Come on, things like righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. We could add more to that. Hope, joy, peace, kindness, goodness. Come on, they're the things we should be pursuing. The truth is that loving God, loving God's work, loving the church, loving others around us is far more important than loving and desiring riches. Come on. Far more important. I just want to finish with a true story. I love this story. And it drives home this point of loving righteousness, loving others. If anyone's ever seen the film Schindler's List, it chronicled the heroic efforts of a German industrialist named Oskar Schindler. Through his unselfish activities, over a thousand Jews on the trains to Auschwitz were saved. After Schindler discovered what was happening at Auschwitz, remember he's a German, he began to save as many Jews as he could. For money, he could buy Jews to work in his factory, so he would buy them, purchase them off the trains to work in his factory, which was supposed to be part of the military machine of Germany. On one hand, he was buying as many Jews as he could and employing them in his factory, and on the other hand, he was deliberately sabotaging the ammunition produced in the factory. He entered the war as a wealthy industrialist and by the end of the war, he was basically bankrupt. Absolutely bankrupt. When the Germans surrendered, Schindler met with his workers and declared that at midnight they were all free. The most emotional scene of the film was when Schindler said goodbye to the financial manager of the plant, a Jew who was a good good and trusted friend. And as he embraced his friend, Schindler sobbed and said, I could have done more. I could have done more. He looked at his automobile and asked, why did I save this? I could have brought 10 Jews with this. Taking another small possession, he cried, this would have saved another one. Why didn't I do more? Why didn't I do more? You know, the undeniable truth is one day Jesus is going to return a second time. He's already come a first time to die on the cross to pay the full price for our sins. But he's going to return a second time You know, when he comes a second time, we don't know the hour or the day. He might come back tonight. Who knows? Maybe we don't have to go through that storm tomorrow morning. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. But I tell you what, when he comes back, it won't matter how much money we have in shares, how many bedrooms we have in our homes, whether we've got two homes or three homes, it won't matter. The temporary satisfaction we have in vacations and nice cars, it will be gone. Only what we've done for the cause of Christ when he returns, only that will matter. Treasures in heaven. 
If I was to summarise what I've said this evening, in essence, the message of 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 19 is rather than hoping in money and allowing it to control us, let's exercise wisdom to see that God is our hope and resource and to use our wealth. Come on, God can use wealthy people. Let's use it for his kingdom and his purposes. That is true wisdom with wealth. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to heaven one day. I'm not sure what it's going to look like. I've said naked, stripped, stripped of everything that I've, I've stripped of everything that I've accumulated, and say with regret, I could have done so much more. I could have done so much more. We'll leave you with these final words. It's a well-known, it's a well-known verse, but I, it's a well-known statement, a quote, but I love it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You know, our life in the scheme of eternity is like that. Snap of your fingers. It's come and gone. Snap of your fingers. One life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. Come on, let's pray. Father God, I just thank you, um, Lord, from this, this great passage from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Father, I just thank you for the pearls of wisdom that are contained within this passage, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you'll do something that I'm unable to do tonight, Lord. And I just pray that you'll drive this truth home, Lord, these pearls of wisdom home, Lord. Lord, that it won't just be head knowledge tonight, Lord, but it'll be heart knowledge, Lord, that it'll be transformative, Lord. I love your word, Lord, because it transforms us, Lord. Lord, it reveals to us your will for our lives. So, Lord, I, I just pray for every one of us, Lord. Maybe we can just stand for a moment. Lord, I just pray, Lord, as we stand and as we respond to you, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you will drive these, truth, these truths home into our heart. Lord, I just pray that you'll give us great wisdom, Lord, to invest all the wealth you've given us, Lord, into your kingdom, Lord. Lord, to store up for ourselves treasure in heaven for the age that is to come, Lord. And Lord, to see the money that you've blessed us with, Lord, used for your kingdom and for your purposes. And all of God's people said...